for that. Well, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 will be this morning. Also appreciated that offertory as Janet played. God bless America. And I pray regularly for God to keep blessing America. You know, America isn't perfect, right? We understand that. There's some things that uh, need, need change and some things that uh, are not pleasing to the Lord. But man, I am still, uh, I'm still thankful to be an American. I'm thankful for all the folks that have uh, died in various battlefields protecting our freedom. I'm thankful for the folks even right now that are deployed overseas and working in various facets all around the globe. I worked uh, at a ministry just a couple years ago over in Texas right outside Fort Hood. And, and that's where things really came to, to, to light for me and uh, seeing folks that I loved that I was ministering to there, and then they'd get orders, and they'd go overseas, and they'd be gone for a while, and they'd come back, and they'd be shipped off to some other military base to perform another assignment, and I thought, wow, I appreciate the dedication of every single one of our soldiers in our nation's military, and you know, they're faithful at their, their job, they're faithful at their goal, their mission, uh, their tasks, and all those different things, and they serve an earthly commander, but we serve heavenly commander. Are we not soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ? How much more so we should be dedicated to His cause and uh, doing the work He has called us to do. Well, I hope you've found Luke chapter 6. I haven't. I was too, too busy rambling here. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse number 20, 27 is where we'll begin. If you'd stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 6. Verse number 27, we'll read down to verse number 35. The Bible says, But I say unto you which hear, Love your enemies, and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other, And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy cloak also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank ye, what, what thank have ye? For sinners also Love those things that, that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. You know, I have a little bit of a grievance against Pastor this morning, right? Last week, Pastor preached on uh, loving one another. We all love that message, right? We know we need to love one another, but it's hard when that one another is your enemy. Tonight, to this morning's command of Christ is that we are to love your enemies. 
Much harder message, but applicable for all of us. Let's pray once more before we dive into this. Lord, we do thank you for today. Father, we've already sang your praises. We've already heard great truths about how you care for us, how you are faithful, how everything that we uh, have and uh, all that is around us in this world is yours. And Father, we're thankful for uh, just uh, the day that you have given to us, a wonderful, beautiful day. And uh, I pray that over these next few moments, Lord, this will be a profitable time. Uh, Lord, I am, I am young. I uh, have much to learn. And uh, Lord, I'm not the most eloquent speaker, but Lord, of this one thing, I ask that you give me your power this morning. I pray that uh, through the preaching of your word and the Holy Spirit, it will go forth and encourage all of our hearts. May all of us leave here changed, ready to serve you, and ready to follow the command that you have given for us today. I pray that you'll bless this time. Be with my lips. Lord, help me only to say the things you'd have me to say and withhold anything you'd have me not to say. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, there are some things in Scripture that we read and we come across them and at first glance they go against our human logic. They go against our knee-jerk reaction. And sometimes when we read these passages of Scripture, specifically the one we're looking at today, sometimes we like to, uh, we like to change the meanings of words to justify them and meet what our expectation of the passage of Scripture uh, is. And so, uh, for instance, sometimes we'll read the word enemies and we'll uh, downplay this word enemy. And we may think this is just somebody that we just don't get along with, somebody that occasionally there's just a rub or a minor disagreement. The true meaning of the word enemy is somebody who is your adversary. Somebody who, for every success you have, they have a goal to knock you down. They don't care about your livelihood. They don't care about your success. They don't care about your well-being. They wish to harm you. Some of us today, as I look around the room, I know the statistics of abuse and the fact there are some that face on a regular basis emotional and social and physical harm and abuse. It is those people that in this passage of Scripture we are to love. And that's hard to digest. That's a hard pill to swallow. So sometimes what we do is, well, if that is the true meaning of an enemy, then what we must do is maybe we'll change the uh, idea of what loving is. And we may say that loving our enemy is mere tolerance toward our enemy. But we'll find today that the meaning of the word love is not tolerance, but rather it is giving. And I've already alluded to that already as we talked about our offering, that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And a lot of times we think that, uh, we'll talk about this later as well, that our motive is that if I'm just good and I truly am loving and I, I, I love all my enemies and so forth, that they'll change. They can't help but change. And maybe somebody even in this room you can think of and you know that they're your enemy. And you think, I hope they hear this message. 
right? But let me share this with you. We can do very little to change others, but we can change ourselves. And this whole message this morning is not about how we can change our enemies' hearts in the process of loving them, but how we can change our hearts to be more loving towards our enemies. The year was 1919, and Japan had invaded, conquered, and occupied Korea. Of all of their oppressors, Japan was the most, most ruthless. Their crimes against women and children were inhumane. Many Koreans live today with the physical and emotional scars from the Japanese occupation. One group singled out for, uh, for, for concentrated oppression was the Christians. The conquerors started by refusing to allow churches to meet and jailed many of the key Christian spokesmen. One pastor persisted, uh, persistently entreated his local Japanese police chief for permitting them to meet in a service, uh, just asking them for permission to attend a service. And uh, his, his nagging was finally accommodated and the police chief offered to unlock the church for one meeting. It didn't take long for word to travel and all across Japan, committed Christians starving for the opportunity for unhindered worship, much like we had this morning, quickly made their plans. And long before dawn on that promising Sunday, Korean families throughout the wide area made their way to church. As they closed the doors behind them, they shut out the scars of oppression and shut in a burning spirit anxious to glorify their Lord. The Korean church has always been and always had a reputation of, of being a, a singing church. Song after song rang through the open windows into the bright Sunday morning. For a handful of peasant listeners nearby, the last two songs this congregation sang seemed suspended in time. It was during a stanza of Nearer My God to Thee that the Japanese police chief waited outside giving the order. People toward the back of the church could hear, uh, hear the police when they barricaded the doors. No one realized that they had doused the church with kerosene until they smelled the smoke. The dried wooden skin of the small church quickly ignited. Fumes filled the structure as tongues of flames began to uh, lick the baseboards of the interior wall. There was an immediate rush for the windows, but their hope recoiled as horror uh, of men climbing out of the windows were quickly crashed back and their bodies ripped to shreds by the hail of bullets. A good, the good pastor knew it was the end. With a calm that comes from the confidence in the Lord, he led his congregation in a hymn. His words serve as a, a, a fitting farewell to earth and a loving salutation to heaven. With smoke burning their eyes, they instantly joined as one, uh, as, as one to sing their hope, uh, sing of their hope and leave their legacy. They sang these words: "Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die?" Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Just before the roof collapsed, they, they, they sang this last verse, their words and eternal testimony to their faith. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do.
At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. The strains of music and wails of children were lost in the roar of the flames. The elements of that day that once formed uh, bone and, and, and uh, had, had fumes of bone and flesh uh, mixed with the smoke dissipated into the air. The bodies that once housed lives fused with charred rubble of the building that once housed a church. But the souls who left singing finished their course in the throne room of God. Clearing the debris and the rubble and the remains was the easy part. Erasing the hate would take decades. For some of the relatives of the victims, the carnage was too much. Evil had stooped to a new low. There seemed to be no way to curb their bitter loathing of the Japanese. In the decades to follow, their bitterness was passed on to a new generation. These Japanese, although conquered, remained a hated enemy. There is a monument placed in this Korean building. The location of the fire not only memorialized the people who died, but stood as a mute reminder of their pain. And yet we hear stories like this and we read from the Bible, it says, love your enemy. Maybe the command that requires the most spiritual maturity of all. Christ has called each of us to identify those who have wronged us and proactively love them. Do good to them. Bless them. And finally, pray for them. Most Christians do all they can to merely tolerate an enemy, much less love them. To be clear, Christ's expectation on each of His disciples is to love the ones who have wronged us the most. So this morning, as we dive into this difficult topic, I want you to see three truths as we consider this command of Christ concerning loving your enemies. First, I want us to see our mandate. Our mandate. Luke chapter 6, verse number 27, as we read just a moment ago, says this, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. But that's not the only time that we hear this command given. For there are many other passages of Scripture we can turn to, and I'll just read a few of them here just to remind us that this isn't just one isolated instance where Jesus is teaching us to love our enemies. He repeats it over and over in Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 44 says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Romans chapter 12, verse number 14 says this, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Exodus chapter 23, verse number 4, If thou meet thine enemy's ox, uh, or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. 
It's this thought process that goes against our human understanding. We want our enemies to fall. We want those who harm us to have harm brought to them. It's just part of our human nature. It's part of our flesh. It's part of the way we are, uh, our sin nature. And, and we look around us and we, we want ill and we want pain and we want suffering to go to the people that bring us the most pain. But the Bible teaches, letter A, the duty of Christ's disciples. The duty of Christ's disciples. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. We're going to find here there are four elements that need to change in our life in order for us to truly be loving our enemies the way God has designed. The first element comes from that first phrase, love your enemies. That has to do with our attitude. Our attitude. How we, how our attitude is towards others. Love is understood by most to be but a feeling. But the Bible teaches that love is a choice of the heart. No one leaning on their own fleshly feelings will ever love a true enemy But a godly man or woman can love their enemy because they make a choice to do so. Can I remind us what Jesus Christ Himself did for us? It was in that while we were yet sinners. When we were sinners, we were enemies of a holy God. It wasn't our goodness or our lovingness towards God that caused Him to come to us. It was while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Loving our enemies requires a change of our attitude. But next, the passage continues on and says, Do good to them which hate you. So now, God not only wants our inward part to be changed, our attitude towards our enemies to be changed, but He wants our actions towards our enemies to be changed. Different from how we perceive and how we naturally think we should treat our enemies. As we discussed this uh, in last week's message, the proper attitude leads to a proper action. If you make the choice to love your enemy, then you will choose to do good to someone who is doing you evil. This is a choice to live by principle or by emotion. And boy, do we live in a world today that likes to live by emotion. What feels good to me is what I'm going to do today. We have a society today, I don't feel like going to work, young people. I don't feel like going to work, so I'm just not going to go to work. I don't feel like going to church, so I'm not going to go to church. I don't feel like I want to be with this person. I don't feel, and we say these things, and time and time again on social media, I've heard it just even this week, I I feel this, I feel this, and so therefore because I feel, this must be. But the Bible wants us to live by biblical principle. And if we live the principled life, we will not be basing our decision making on our feelings, but by thus saith the Lord. 
by what God has directed us to do. And so if we are to follow this mandate, we must uh, understand that there is an attitude adjustment. We must understand that there is actions that must be changed as well. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says this, But God commendeth his love toward us, and I just read this a moment ago, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it doesn't stop there. It says, much more than, and this is a key phrase, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also join in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And listen, it wasn't that God just tolerated us. He didn't just say, oh, you're a sinner, deal with it yourself. For God so loved the world that He gave, right? So, He comes, He dies on the cross for the sins of all mankind. But that wasn't enough for God. It wasn't enough for Him to just say, okay, I've paid for your sins. But now He says, I love you so much that I'm going to give you a home in heaven. Jesus said this, He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So God doesn't just give us salvation, He doesn't just give us a home in heaven, but He gives us a relationship with us. Do you understand this? God could have created some other place besides heaven. He could have said, here is a little room, and uh, each of you that accept me, you're going to be in this room, and you're just going to be enclosed up from me for all of eternity, and I don't really want to have a relationship with you, but at least you won't go to hell. No, 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 my friend. God brings us to one of the most personal places we can be with Him. And that's heaven. The joy of heaven is the fact that we get to fellowship with God for all of eternity. He will... We will be singing His praises. He will be teaching us. He will be showing things we couldn't even uh, we can't even imagine in our minds today. He says uh, in this passage, much more, much more. There's so much more that God gives us. He doesn't just save us. He gives us a home in heaven. He doesn't just give us a home in heaven. He He desires to have a relationship with us. He 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 His actions toward us as His enemies, as we were sinners. He says, I have a plan for you. I want you to be with me. I love you that much. That's the example we have. Not only do we need to change our attitude and our actions, but we need to change our articulation. Our articulation towards our enemy. The Bible says this in verse number 28. Bless them that curse you. Many of you know the story of King Saul and young David. Many of you know that after ten years of being a fugitive from the king, his own father-in-law, Saul will be killed in battle. So imagine this with me. For ten years, you are running for your life. The home that you have right now is about to be burned down. It's about to be pillaged. An army of soldiers is about to march through every room, tearing everything apart, looking for you to kill you. And you have but a handful of choices, and so you say, 
I'm leaving my home. I'm leaving the, the city that I know. I'm leaving the loved ones that are here. And I'm going to go somewhere else. And for David, that not only extended it outside of, uh, or, or uh, in another area of his own country, but it extended into other countries. He was going into foreign lands, having to run from the hand of Saul, his father-in-law, the one who wanted to kill him. And finally, news comes to David that this adversary who was fighting against him, who wanted to bring him down, who wanted to see his ultimate demise, is finally killed by a third party member in battle. How would you respond in that situation? All right. Let's put these last ten years behind us. Let's go back home. I'm glad he's dead. It's over. That was not exactly how David looked at this situation. David, when he heard about his enemy's death, he wept, he fasted, and he eulogized of Saul's greatness. He blessed the name of the man who had tried to kill him over and over and over again. When others curse you, learn to see the good in their life and find a way to speak a blessing about them. Well, my boss, well, my spouse, well, they were my friend until they said this. I'm glad they're out of my life. Glad my boss is out of my life. I'm glad that spouse is out of my life. I can't stand them. Good riddance. No. Find a way, even in your greatest adversary, to bless them and, and to not curse them as our fleshly being wants to do. Not only do we see our attitude, our actions, articulation, but then this, this is perhaps one of our most difficult ones, is we should change our asking. You say, what do you mean by that? The Bible says, pray for them which despitefully use you. Do you pray for your enemies? I don't mean pray for God to harm them. Pray for God to bless them. Jesus prayed to the Father for His enemies when He was on the cross. Stephen prayed for his enemies uh, to the Father while he was being stoned to death. You see, we are not only given co this command uh, 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 from Christ, He spent a life on earth modeling for us how to put them into practice. If you're a disciple of Christ, then it's your duty to love your enemy. I encourage you to do this at some point. Maybe the next few moments, or maybe this afternoon, or something like that. Take a piece of paper. And I think for every one of us today, as I say this term enemy, and while it can mean many things, a great adversary or somebody that we just occasionally have a rub with, or we just don't enjoy the presence of, or something like that, or even uh, uh, they, uh, uh, whatever the case is, two-way street, we don't like them, they don't like us, whatever the case, write, write their name down. Identify who your enemy is. Put it on the black and white paper. And you know what? That enemy list all of a sudden should become your prayer list. So I, this person, 
Ah. Ah. You might have a mean spirit about it. While you're filling that out, once you get done, maybe you get on your knees. God, I pray for this person. I don't know why they choose to do what they do. But God, I'm going to take you for your word. I'm going to love them. Help me to be the person that I need to be for that person. I don't know what their circumstances are. I don't know what's going on in the background. But God, I pray that you bless them. Because maybe they're going through a tough time right now. Can I tell you this? Hurt people hurt people. Some of us, we've, we've, we've been hurting on the inside and we didn't realize we were hurting other people. Why? Because we were hurting in the inside. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If our heart's hurting, you can bet your mouth is going to be hurting. And sometimes we don't even think about it. Maybe that person doesn't even think about it. Maybe they are malicious. Maybe they know the damage that they're doing. Nonetheless, we are still commanded to pray for them that despitefully use us. So we've talked letter A about the duty of Christ's disciples, but next we see the destruction of fleshly desires. This, of course, is not natural because of the flesh's desire to get even with somebody who has wronged us. Right? Look no further than going over into the children's ministry. Right? You look at a child who smacks another child, what immediately happens without them even thinking? Retaliation. Retaliation. Right? That's just the flesh speaking. That's just, that's just what they have become because of their sin nature. And so Jesus teaches us that we are to lay down and let people who are selfish take advantage of us. You say, where do you find that? Luke 6, verse number 29 30. And unto them that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away the cloak, forbid not to take thy cloak also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And if, if you are like most, everything inside of you, uh, if you're most like, like anyone around you, uh, inside of you says that it's, it's not right. Why? Because the flesh strongly desires retaliation. You cannot obey the commands of Christ through the power of the flesh, however. Look with me at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 17. And this is where all of these elements, as we talk about how we are to change, we, in and of ourselves, cannot accomplish these changes. Can I tell you, you can leave this building today, and you can have every, every good intention in the world to not retaliate. But if you try and you strive out of your own flesh, out of your own power, guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to... Oh, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to retaliate. Oh, no. Galatians chapter 5 gives us the key. But if ye, verse number 15, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That I say then, look at this phrase, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary to one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Turn the other cheek when smitten. Giving someone the shirt on your back. 
who sued you for your jacket? When people forcefully steal from you, give them more than they try to take? All of these things go beyond tolerating your enemy. They go against what our flesh wants. How does a Christian accomplish this tall order? Only by destroying the desires of the flesh and walking in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Paul told the Christians at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse number 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, say the Lord, I will repay. Listen, let me pause here. Just give a quick little illustration, right? And, and you may have had a similar situation in another place, but uh, this past week, uh, my family went up to uh, Niagara Falls and It's going to take a a couple days, and we got uh, a lot of things up on the schedule for our teenagers and other church events here. Uh, Just a very busy season, and and so uh, we just were able to take Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and just kind of uh, put that away and say, you know what, that's going to be our vacation for this year. And so uh, my my, uh, wife and daughter, and we even brought our dog, uh, we went all the way up to uh, Niagara Falls, New York, and and just had a wonderful time. And before we left, uh, I called the hotel, and I just wanted to make sure that all of our arrangements we're all uh, square, and I had a couple questions about some things, and so uh, I got on the phone, and the individual on the phone was just very friendly, and uh, we're just so thankful that you chose to join this hotel, and you're, you're going to be here, and we look forward to seeing you in just a, just a day or so. And I said, oh, this is great. I got off the phone, and, and I texted my wife, and I said, I think this is going to be great. I think this is going to be a great hotel. I think people there are going to be friendly. I'm excited about this, and I remember walking into the hotel. It was a beautiful day. We had a great trip. No, no traffic at all. Just a little bit. I was going to be preaching for a friend of mine up there. And, and, uh, and so I walk in the doors and I walk right up to the front desk and the person standing behind the front desk just went like this. And I'm happy. It's a good day. Sun is shining. I'm about to go over to Niagara Falls. It's going to be beautiful. We got this time away with family. Uh, my daughter's happy. We're all just, we're just enjoying life, enjoy the ride. And I walk in the hotel that I'm, I'm expecting. Good morning, sir. Welcome to the hotel. That's my expectation. And what do I get? And I walk up to the counter. And as I walk up, person just goes, put their head down like I'm not even there. Good afternoon. How are you? Oh, hi. What can I do for you? I'm here to check in. And you know, you've had similar situations, maybe at a restaurant, maybe at a hotel, maybe uh, somewhere else, where you're trying to be friendly, and you're hoping that just in being friendly, there's, there's going to be some reciprocation. You're at least just giving them a smile. Maybe they'll smile back. No, not this person. No, no, no. Uh, they just kind of type in, point to the screen. That's how much you're going to owe. Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, how many how many keys do you need? Uh, one for me, one for my wife. Here you go. Enjoy your stay. Turns away. No, no other information was given. No other uh, no other questions or anything. No other opportunity for me to to say something. That was it. It was just cold. Calculated, done. Okay, uh, so I get to our room and 
Uh, the next day, wake up uh, pretty early and just uh, ready for a nice breakfast. And trying to, to get up early, but, uh, um, you know, we had traveled, and so we were, we were up a little bit later, but still within the, the bounds of, of what we thought were a reasonable time for breakfast. And so uh, I go up to the front counter, and I'm kind of looking around, and I'm, I'm waiting to see here. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm waiting to see, I don't, where is this breakfast at? I don't, this is a, a new hotel to me. I, I don't exactly know where this is located here. And... Uh, um, all of a sudden, I go up and I, I again. There's another person. This is a different person, and they just kind of stand there and they're like. And so I go up and I'm like, "Good morning." And I'm not a morning person, so I had to fight. I had to fight the flesh, and I'm like, "Good morning." And uh, they're like, "How can I help you?" And uh, I said, "Well, I just had a couple questions." And I asked, I asked one question about uh, our, our room, and and then I said, uh, "I said, what's uh, what's the, the deal with the breakfast?" They said, breakfast closed five minutes ago. Oh, okay. All right. You know, I'm looking around like it closed five minutes ago, but where? I mean, where was it? You know, there's not even remains. There's not even a crumb. It's gone. And you know what my flesh wanted to say right then and there? My flesh wanted to be, five minutes? You mean you can't give me a muffin? It just closed five minutes ago. Come on, help me out here. Where was this published? You don't have a book uh, in, in the hotel. There's no sign. I don't know where the breakfast is, right? That's what the flesh wants to say. Again, I'm not a morning person, so you don't know what you're going to get, right? I'm hungry. I want my food. I paid for the breakfast. Close five minutes ago. Oh, okay. All right. Well, for future reference, how do we get breakfast? Well, it's from this time to this time, and it's going to be right here. Oh, okay. All right. I look over where they're pointing, and I wouldn't have assumed that breakfast was there. It was not uh, very uh, obvious, at least not to me. Now, I am blonde, so who knows. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I, was, I, was, I was getting really frustrated and you know what? Sometimes we do things to people because we expect something back. Sometimes we smile and we're bubbly because we expect them to either change or conform or do what we expect them to do. But listen, that's not what the Bible's teaching here. We don't do good for, for some other uh, expectation. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But the Bible says, as I just read, in Romans chapter 12, verse number 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in a wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. When we behave the way that I wanted to, the way my flesh wanted to, guess what? We become the judge, jury, and executioner. And the Bible says that's God's place. It's God's job to repay. He's the righteous judge. If we have faith in God, like we say we do, then we'll trust that He saw that injustice, that He saw that person treating us cold, callous, inhumane, whatever the case is. And He says here, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And so when we give place, like that verse is saying, we, we get out of the seat of judge, jury, and executioner. And we say, God, it's all yours. It's yours to do as you will. For you are the righteous judge. We put our hands off. You know, that's hard. That's easier said than done. You understand that? 
I, I stand up here today and I, I just thinking about this whole process of loving your enemies. I just think to myself, it's hard when you have every right, when there are other people around you that know you are being treated unjustly. You ever have somebody that promised you a paycheck and all of a sudden things change, they underdeliver? You ever have somebody who really does not care whether you live another day or not? You're just a means to an end for them and that's it? I think all of us at some point have had that coldness brought towards us. We say, well, i got this document. I have, I, have, I have this and I have all these people and evidence and I'm going to get you back. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to make you feel the pain. No, no, my friend. Give, give way to God to do His justice. Many churchgoers will not be able to obey this command because they do not know what it means to destroy the desires of the flesh and live through the power of God's Spirit. They walk in the flesh, make choices by the flesh, respond or react in the flesh, hold grudges in the flesh, and seek vengeance against those who have done them wrong in the flesh. Christian, God has called you to love your enemy. The only way to do so is to daily destroy the desires of a sinful flesh. That's point number one, okay? Uh, point number one. But listen, uh, point number two and three, much shorter. We're going we're gonna to really practically uh, pull it in here and, uh, and land the plane. So we've talked about our mandate, but now, now we talk about our motive, our motive. Why are we to do this and how are we to do this? Why is this so challenging? Most people do right for the wrong reasons. They are kind to others, or they give to charity, or they pray for someone or something, but their motives are impure. And so we must adjust and understand that we have selfish expectations. We have selfish expectations, just as I illustrated a moment ago, right? We smile and, and we expect somebody to conform. We expect somebody to do uh, something back to us. If we smile, we expect them to smile back. We say hello, we want them to say hello back. If we want uh, to uh, be invited to their birthday party, we invite them to our birthday party. If you uh, want your kid to have $50 at a graduation time, then uh, if you want their kid to have $50 at graduation time, they should return the favor to your kid. Uh, young brides, they say, well, I'll throw you a bridal shower, uh, then you, sh- you, sh- uh, show, uh, you should throw me one. And we almost uh, say, well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine back. And that's simply not how our motives should be. That's not what God intends as we uh, seek to love other people. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse number 32 and 33, For if ye love them which love you, what thank ye ha- have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Listen, sinner, sinners understand this concept. right? It's easy to love somebody that loves you. It's easy. It's much harder to love somebody who's unlovely. It's much harder to love somebody who doesn't like you. And so what God intends for us is to look different than the world, separate from the world. They're going to look and they're going to say, well, that's against our nature. How would they? How could they respond like that? Continuing on, and if you do good to them, which do good to you, what thank you? For sinners also do even the same. If somebody does good, it's natural for somebody else to do the same thing. I think I, I mentioned this not too long ago, but um, I was uh, helping my neighbor out, and uh, she was struggling with her lawnmower, and I went over and I tried to uh, help her, and we were able to get her lawnmower started. And the very next day, I realized she cut part of my grass. 
It was natural for her, when she saw that I was trying to help her, she said, oh, I'm going to help him in exchange. You know, I don't know if she's saved. I pray for her. I've tried, uh, we've tried talking to her and reaching out to her. But listen, the whole point of that is, that's natural. What's unnatural is for us to, uh, to do something good even when somebody hasn't done uh, good to us. Most everyone functions along these lines. But do you see the selfish expectations we put on others? I expect that person to smile at me. I expect that person to give me that gift. No, 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 my friend. Jesus says, in essence, that if you're going to, to love people who, uh, who, uh, who you know will uh, love you back, and if you're, going to, uh, if you're only going to do good to people who return the favor, what kind of disciple of mine are you really? Many times our enemies become our enemies because there was a sharp disagreement about what the expectation on the relationship uh, was, and it wasn't met. We live with unfulfilled expectations on others. You say, well, I expected that person to say something nice about my outfit, and they didn't. Now all of a sudden there's a rub. But you don't know what's going on, Right? We put that on others, now all of a sudden we have created an enemy within our own selves and that other person doesn't even know. Jesus is saying here, be kind to everyone and have no selfish expectations. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 46 and 47 uh, helps to illustrate it as well, gives us another context. It says, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. Now, I want you to remember that, the publicans. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. You know what a publican was? A publican was a tax collector. We just got done tax season, right? Back in April. Glory, hallelujah. Uh, it's over. Nobody likes paying taxes. But listen, uh, what these publicans would do is they would sit there and they were money-centered. And their motives were all about how can I make more money? How can I, how can I uh, uh, be nice to this person so in exchange they'll give me more money? The publicans knew how to do business. The publicans knew, well, if I'm, if I'm just nice uh, to them, they will uh, soften their grip on their money and they'll be willing to give me more. Many people have enemies because of their own motives uh, and they were selfish and they didn't get their way. Jesus is trying to teach us about the motive in this mandate, love others and expect nothing in return. It's pretty difficult to be offended when you are operating under these terms. And then, letter B, our spiritual etiquette. Our spiritual etiquette. At this point, I'm just going to teach here just for a moment, try to break down a couple verses. But before we get to that, Luke chapter 6, verse number 34. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. And in preparation for this study, um, I was reading about this verse probably more than any of the other verses. Because I've heard this uh, explained many different ways. And um, you, you study a lot of theologians, they, they, they will literally say they don't exactly know what uh, some of the phrasing of this verse means. <clears throat> but uh, I came across a couple couple uh, individuals that, that gave what I believe to be a very 
solid explanation as to Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 21 and 22. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Now look at this phrase here. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. We have to be very careful, and this is where the teaching part comes in, to be very careful when we look at Scripture, to look at it through the eyes of a literal, historical, and grammatical interpretation to Scripture. That's not to say that some illustrations and some uh, uh, comparisons are made in Scripture and perhaps some things are, are poetic. I understand that. But when we understand anything, we must take it literally, historically, and grammatically in its interpretation to truly understand, understand what the Bible has to say. And so as we look at this, we read the first part, and it's very literal. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. Right? You have somebody that is hungry, even if they're your enemy, you give them bread. Okay? If they're thirsty, you give them water to drink. And then we get to this passage here, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. And we think, what does that mean? What does heap coals of fire on their meat, that mean? And sometimes what we do is we, we take that verse and we put it in an American 21st century uh, uh, vernacular, right? And we say, well, it's just a figure of speech. And by being good to them, it's just going to get back at them. It's just going to, it's going to irk them, and, and they're going to become your friend. They're, they're no longer going to be your enemy, and they're going to be uh, nicer to you. It's just going to sit with them uh, a little uncomfortable. Well, my friend, I don't believe that that is exactly what this uh, passage of Scripture is saying. And in order to uh, tr- properly illustrate it, we've got to go back. got to go back to, the, uh, to when this verse was written down. And understand that your house, my house, all of our houses were not like the early Old Testament houses in Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, they were much different. Uh, when you got hot, when you get hot today, uh, you turn on the air conditioning. Right? You turn on a fan. Uh, or you open a window or something like that. Right? If you get cold, you turn on the heat. And glory, hallelujah for heat. Amen? And uh, all those different things. We have certain things uh, like lights. Whenever I need to get into a room and I can't see, what we do is we flip on a light or we pull out our phone. Right? We've got a flashlight on, our, on most of our phones and we're able to shine it around. And that helps us when we want to cook. Either we just go down to the grocery store or we go uh, over to fast food or, or we just fire up our oven. The Old Testament, and even this is uh, the same concept is carried over into uh, Romans chapter 12. Paul quotes this exact same verse uh, as he's speaking to the church in Rome. He's saying, hey, listen, I want you to remember an element of your home that in our day isn't so common. And that was there were in, in, in every in most houses, there were these uh, pots. They kind of looked like grills. Some of them were metal. Some of them were clay. And they would put coals in these pots. Say, okay, what's the big deal with that? Well, these pots would provide three very important elements that you and I take for granted today. It would provide, number one, light in darkness. Outside of this pot, there really wasn't much, right? And if you needed a candle, you still need a source for that fire. And so these coals would stay hot, they'd stay lit, and uh, if you, as long as you kept throwing coals into the fire, as long as you kept feeding this, uh, this grill-type thing, you would have light. Not only would you have light, you would have warmth in the cold. Again, very important. A cold night in, in Jerusalem, uh, oh, that's, 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 not, that's not an enjoyable sleep. 
How many of you just had a miserable night's sleep because of the temperature of your room? Right? Yes, I've had that. Uh, uh, we get we get frustrated when it's too hot or too cold. I just can't sleep. And uh, and so these these grills, these pots, they would uh, help to produce warmth in a cold night. But finally, this is a very important element too. It would help with cooking. It would help with cooking. And so you have three important elements: light, heat, and food. And this is what would happen is you would be all prepared, and you'd have your pot, and it'd be full of hot coals, and you'd enjoy your food, you'd enjoy your light, enjoy your warmth, you're sitting there, all of a sudden you look out your window, and your neighbor, who's your enemy, he hasn't been very kind to you, he doesn't really care about your well-being, he looks in his pot, he doesn't have any coals, or his coals have gone out. All of a sudden he is in a very vulnerable situation. Imagine not having light at night. Imagine not having heat at night. Imagine not having a way to cook your food. What do I do? Run to the grocery store? No, that's not an option. So what they would do is they would run to the neighbor's house. Can you give me coal? Can you help me out? Please? And what you and I what we would like to do is say, no, no, you haven't been very kind to me. You're in a vulnerable situation. I got you now. You might not survive tonight. It might get so cold you would die. You might be so hungry. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know why you couldn't afford coal. Maybe it's because you don't have money. You don't have money. You're not going to last long in life. That's what a lot of Christians, what a lot of people want to do. I got them. They've finally fallen. Finally in a difficult situation. God's, God's bringing judgment upon them. Glory, hallelujah. No, what the Bible is saying here is you give them the coal. You give them a way that they can get light. You give them a way that they can get heat. Well, you say, Pastor Andrew, well, it says heat burning coals upon their head. Again, what we do is we take an American type of illustration to this, and, and what, the way we carry things is out like this, right? How they carry things over on the other, sea, on the other side of the world, at this time, they put it on their head. And they'd walk around with it on their head. And can, I, can I guarantee you this? Somebody who is an enemy, and they come over to you, and they understand that they are in a very vulnerable situation, and you give them the coal that's going to supply those three major elements, and they lift that on their head and they go back over to their home, no doubt they're going to be very thankful you were kind to them. But listen, if we do that, if we give them what they need with the expectation that they're going to immediately turn around and be my friend... And they're going to look at me as if I'm more superior to them because at that moment, I wasn't as vulnerable as they were. You're doing it a wrong motive. The Bible says this, that when you do that, no matter what happens, right? You may never win that enemy over. They may turn around the very next day, persecute you and do whatever, but you can take this promise to the bank that the Bible says that the Lord will reward you. 
He is going to reward you. Not that enemy, not that person that was in dire straits. It's going to be the Lord ultimately that helps you and rewards you for being His obedient servant. When we mature in the Lord and give vengeance for wrongdoing totally over to Him, He enables us to love fully. So we have a spiritual etiquette. Finally, number three is our model. Our model. We've already alluded to this already a couple times. The behavior that we should model is that of royalty. James chapter 2, verse number 8 says this, If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. You must learn to rise above the practice of carnal, shallow behavior and live a greater code of conduct. You understand this? God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is royalty. And if you're saved and you know Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, that makes you royalty. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. We are the children of God. You are called to live above the lost and to love everyone, including those who have wronged you or hated you. It's the behavior of royalty. But secondly, letter B, this is the behavior of deity. It's not only that we should behave ourselves in in, uh, in fashion of who God is, but now we need to look to God Himself and see how He patterns it. In Luke chapter six, verse number thirty-five, as we as we close out this illustrate this sermon this morning. Uh, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for He that is God is kind unto the unthankful. And to the evil. We know that every good and every perfect gift cometh from above. And have you ever sat in your house, you kind of look around, and sometimes you have days where you just feel like you're struggling financially? It almost seems like our mind wanders over to our enemy. And we look over at them, and they got the nice car, they got the bigger house, their family just seems to have it together. Listen, my friend, God, God reigns on the just and the unjust. He blesses the just and the unjust. And so this morning, uh, we are not to behave ourselves in light of what other people do to us. We are to behave ourselves in light of what God does for others. And the Bible says that He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. I think of all the God-hating God-defying, blaspheming people that take up the space on God's earth. I think of all of the unthankful people that take advantage of the goodness of God every day, yet He pours out His blessing on them. Anyhow, God daily loves His enemies. When you love those who have wronged you or refuse to forgive uh, others, then uh, you are behaving, uh, when, you, when you choose to forgive, and when you have uh, loved those that have wronged you, then you are behaving like deity of your Father in heaven. The Korean people who found it too hard to forgive could not enjoy the peace that passes 
all understanding. Hatred choked their joy. It wasn't until 1972, many, many decades after the incident, that any hope came. A group of Japanese pastors traveled through Korea, uh, traveling through Korea, came up to that memorial where that church was burned. When they read the details of the tragedy and the names of the spiritual brethren and sisters uh, who were who had perished, they were, they were overcome with shame. Their country had sinned, and even though none of them were personally involved, some not even born at the time of the tragedy, they still felt a national guilt that could not be excused. They returned to Japan committed to right the wrong. There was an immediate outpouring of love of their fellow believers, and they raised $25,000. The money was transferred through proper channels, and the beautiful, a beautiful white church, uh, uh, church building was erected on the site of the tragedy. When the dedication service of the new building was held, a delegation from Japan joined the relatives and special guests. Although their generosity was acknowledged and their attempts to make peace appreciated, the memories were still there. The speeches were made, details of the tragedy recalled, and the names of the dead honored. It was time to bring the service to a close. Someone in charge of the agenda thought it would be appropriate to conclude the same uh, with the two songs they sung the day the church was burned. Church leader began the words, To nearer my God to thee. But something remarkable happened as the voices mingled in their family melody. As the memories of the past mixed with the truth of the song, resistance started to melt. The inspiration that gave hope to a doomed collection of churchgoers and the past uh, generations gave hope once more. The song leader closed the service with a hymn, At the Cross. The normally stoic Japanese could not contain themselves. The tears that began to fill their eyes during the song suddenly gushed from deep inside of them. They turned to their Korean spiritual relatives and, and began, uh, be, began to, to, uh, begin, uh, or begged them rather to, uh, forgive the guards calloused hearts of the Koreans were not quick to surrender, but the love of the Japanese believers uh, immediate, uh, uh, began to, uh, to soften that hatred that had been there for decades. It tore at the Koreans' emotions, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. One Korean turned toward a Japanese brother. Then another and the floodgates, holding back a wave of emotion, let go. The Koreans met their new Japanese friends in the middle. They clung to each other and wept. Japanese tears of uh, repentance and Korean tears of forgiveness intermingled to bathe the sight of the old nightmare. Heaven had sent a gift of reconciliation to a little white church in Korea. You may or may not ever reconcile with your enemy. But you can be assured that if you love them, God in heaven is pleased because you are showing the world what God's love truly looks like. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.